I'm Kelly McEvers, and this is Embedded, an NPR podcast where we take a story from the news and go deep. And today we're going to Waco, Texas, where last spring there was this huge shootout between two rival biker groups at a restaurant called Twin Peaks. From the 239 people detained, there were 475 weapons recovered at Twin Peaks, including 151 guns and other weapons like brass knuckles, bats, even tomahawks. Back behind me, the scene is still so active that uh, the bodies of the victims are still lying behind me. We talked to an officer today who said out of his 34 years, This is the most violent and most gruesome scene that I have dealt with in my nearly 35 years of law enforcement experience. There were so many rounds fired. That shootout ended with nine people dead. Seven from one biker group, the Cossacks. One from the other biker group, the Banditos, and one biker who wasn't affiliated with either group. When the story first broke, it was all over the place. Two notoriously criminal biker gangs, the Banditos and the Cossacks. Banditos and Cossacks. The Banditos and the Cossacks have been around in Texas since the 60s. The Banditos are definitely the dominant group. A handful of federal agencies list them as a gang. A recent indictment charged three of their leaders with racketeering crimes, including murder, drug trafficking, and extortion. The Banditos deny this, but many of them do call themselves one percenters, a small minority of bikers that does not like to follow the rules. The Cossacks are smaller. They like to call themselves a club. Like a lot of bikers, they hold fundraisers, go on campouts and Sunday rides. The Texas Department of Public Safety says they are an emerging outlaw motorcycle gang. Either way, we wanted to know more about these guys. Who are they? Are they gangs or are they just clubs? And why did this fight happen? Because if it happened once, maybe it could happen again. To figure all this out, we are going to try to get embedded with bikers. Just a heads up here, bikers talk like bikers, so... You know, there's some cussing. HubSpot supports Embedded because they love great stories. That's all. HubSpot wants to get back to the episode early, too. So that's what we'll do. All right, so I know I am not the first reporter to try this. I mean... Hunter S. Thompson famously spent all that time with the Hells Angels. Me and my producer, Tom Dreisbach. I'm trying to reach Ray Nelson Jr., who might have been at the Twin Peaks restaurant last month. and they said We are not quite as not. successful when we first get to Waco. Sure, my name is Tom Dreisbach. We spend days collecting phone numbers and contact Ray info from public records and social media, basically anything we can find. We make a lot of cold calls to a lot of bikers, but we don't get very far. I'm a uh, reporter with National Public Radio and PR News. I try a bandito who goes by the name Gimme Jimmy. Okay. I know you've talked to other... Uh, okay. You've talked to other people in the media bef- uh, up to now. And he just hung up on me. He said, I got no comment. That's obviously not going to work. So we decide to go to the scene of the crime. It's that restaurant called Twin Peaks. It's actually a restaurant, kind of like a Hooters get it. Twin Peaks. But we can't go inside. It's been closed since the shootout. Still, we want to try to get a picture of where this massive shootout happened. 
Witnesses say it started in the parking lot. This is not some, you know, like, crusty roadhouse in the middle of nowhere, you know. Yeah, if I were to, um, I'm not an outlaw biker, right. but if I were to... <laughs> you are not. If I were to uh, call for a venue for a big fight, yeah. big throwdown, yeah. I wouldn't pick Sunday at 1 p.m., across from Charming Charlie's having its semi-annual sale. <laughs> it's a really weird place. Yeah. We know from the local newspapers that the day of the shootout was supposed to be this lunch meeting of a group called the Confederation of Clubs and Independents. It's a group that lobbies for bikers' rights. But instead, it was this crazy violent fight between the Cossacks and the Banditos. And nearly 200 people who were there that day were eventually arrested on charges of engaging in organized crime. And now the lawyers for these people are telling them not to talk to us. I used to work in the Middle East. I did stories about terrorists, rebels, militias, people who aren't super easy to talk to. But there, if you needed to make contact with one of these groups, you just hired a guy. We called them fixers. Here in Waco, we do not have a guy. Until, after three days of not getting very far, we think we find one on Facebook. He's a biker, and he's a Cossack. I send him a friend request. Do I know you, he writes. I'm Kelly from NPR. I'm reporting on the Waco incident, and I'd really love to hear your side of the story. I was not in Waco on that fateful day, he writes. If you have specific questions, pose them. Well, I guess what people don't see is what your clubs are really about. We'd like to report on that, I write. Specifically, he says, I basically want to ask about club life. We can meet and talk about it. I'm two hours away from Waco, he writes. Are you sure you want to make the trip? Yes. So we drive to go meet the guy in a cafe. I can't tell you his name, I can't tell you the town's name, and he doesn't want to talk on tape. I'll just say he's a big, bald dude in a do-rag and a black leather vest with Cossack patches. And right off the bat, he wants to know about our background, the kinds of stories we've reported, how much we actually know about the Waco shootout. And after about an hour of this, he invites us to the local Cossack hangout for club night. We are finally getting somewhere. You come out and ask what you want more, you don't leave till you're full. Wow. And it's about seven or eight old timers playing darts, drinking beer, and telling bad jokes. He didn't figure out it's not the 60s anymore. <laughs> the Cossack Clubhouse is this old storefront. The guys have converted into a bar in front and a garage in the back where they park their bikes and work on them. They do this every Thursday night. Anything to get away from the old lady. He broke a lot of windows, but he didn't shoot anybody. We take it slow with the Cossacks. We don't ask about Waco right away. We ask a lot about how biker clubs work. First thing to know is if you want to be in a club, you have to spend time as a prospect. This clubhouse has one prospect. His name is Zach. The way I look at it, he has to get everybody's beer, empty the ashtrays, stock the bar, clean the bathroom. Zach served in the army in Iraq and Afghanistan. He says he joined the Cossacks in part because he misses the brotherhood he had on those deployments. He shows us a sketch of a Cossack tattoo he wants to get. That was just a personal thing that I drew up. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Cossack because I, I love these guys. You're you a know? Cossack prospect. I'm a Cossack prospect. I hope to be a Cossack because I love these guys. I mean, they're, they're good people. While Zach is talking, this older member has to empty his own ashtray. Why am I emptying ashtrays? Like, he should be doing it. Zach should be emptying the ashtrays. 
So they only let us record for 20 minutes. And during that time, what we hear is a bunch of guys who basically like to hang out and BS about politics. The biggest thing about the Bill of Rights is shall not be infringed. The former Speaker of the House. What are you going to do about that bitch Pelosi? And their thoughts on gender. All goes back to women. Women are the root of all evil. I mean, it started with Eve and... Our recording session ends with this. Have you have you all gotten on a scooter since you've been here? On a scooter? Motorcycle. No, I have not. You want to ride? Tom and I each get to ride on a big Harley. Yeah, hop on. And I have to say, I get why some of these guys join. Come on up. Riding around on a cool Texas night. It's pretty nice. You're good to go? Out there, you're just a badass on a bike, and that's it. You guys give me the ride. His name is Curtis. Calls it wind therapy. It turns out the Cossacks do tell us more stuff when we are not recording. First, they swear up and down they are not criminals. They're just a club. But they clearly like the whole biker thing. The leather, the tattoos, the freedom. Back in our rental car, Tom and I go over everything the Cossacks told us. Let's go through, like, what they all did for a living. You know, like, one guy is a computer network systems engineer. Right. One guy is a contractor, just a general contractor. Uh-huh. Got a nurse anesthetist. And then... A goat farmer. A goat farmer and a bunch of retirees. I mean, honestly... Most of those guys are on Social Security. But here is the big thing we learned at the clubhouse. They basically told us why they think the shootout happened. None of the Cossacks at the clubhouse were at the Waco shootout. But they say the reason the fight happened, get this, was a patch. A patch called the bottom rocker that you wear on the back of your vest. It establishes your club's territory. It basically just says Texas or McLennan County. A recent federal indictment says the banditos believe they own all of Texas and they don't want anyone else to wear the Texas bottom rocker without their permission. But the Cossacks say they want to wear Texas too. Which doesn't just mean they want some new decoration on their vest. It means they want to be taken seriously in the state. In their view, the banditos were really angry that they would consider wearing that patch. And that caused a lot of trouble but that they don't feel like the banditos have the authority to tell them what to do. Still, about a year before the shootout, some Cossacks say they started wearing the Texas patch. One of the older guys said when he heard that the Cossacks were talking about wearing the bottom rocker, the Texas bottom rocker, he was like, oh man, are we really doing this? Because I've heard there's all this trouble that it can cause. Okay. Banditos don't take that lying down. They did not take it lying down. The Cossacks and the Banditos started having these pretty nasty fights in different parts of Texas about the patch. And then the big fight was Waco. We'd read about this patch thing. Now we have real Cossacks saying, yeah, this was the reason for our beef with the Banditos. This idea of who owns Texas might sound crazy to you, but think about street gangs in L.A. in the 80s and 90s. A lot of that violence was about turf. One thing we still don't know, though, is who started the Waco shootout. Yeah, who's the aggressor? I mean, there's clearly some bad blood. And, I don't know, respect is a really big thing for them, it seems like. 
Well, someone got disrespected in that parking lot. Add some beer into the mix. Yeah. And some weapons. And some weapons. I don't know. It seems pretty combustible. And another thing. If the Cossacks are trying to challenge the banditos like this, maybe they're not just a nice little club. So we've gotten in with the Cossacks a little. We try to do the same thing with the banditos. We should say this group was started by mostly white guys, but now has Hispanic members too. We message banditos on Facebook, but get no response. We find out about a bandito fundraiser at a bar. We don't have a guy to get us in, but we try anyway. Hi. Hi, how you doing? Hi. What do you need? We are with NPR, National Public Radio. Yes. We were heard about the meeting. Just kind of wanted to come check it out. Well, it's a private party. It's uh, $10 to get in. And uh, we don't uh, do any video or audio recording in our parties. So if that's a problem, you know, it's too bad. Even outside? Uh, even outside. Because this whole area is our private party. We go put our gear in the trunk, pay the 10 bucks each to get in, stay for about an hour. At the bar, there are a lot of guys from Bandito support clubs like the Vaqueros and the Caballeros. These clubs pay dues to the banditos and wear patches that say S-Y-L-B, support your local banditos. The feds say the dues are one thing that makes the banditos so powerful in Texas. A recent indictment calls it extortion. The Cossacks say they refuse to pay the dues. And they say that is a huge problem for the banditos. So banditos and their support clubs aren't gonna talk to us on the record. And the Cossacks seem more open, so we keep trying them. One day, Tom is tweeting about Waco, and this guy named Richard Luther tweets back at him. He's a Cossack, and he says he was there at the shootout. And he's willing to go on tape. That's coming up after this break. We'd like to say a quick thank you to one of our sponsors, Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can avoid time-consuming trips to the post office. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your computer. 500,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com for a special offer. A four-week trial plus postage in a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone, and type in Embedded. So Tom hears from this Cossack, his name is Richard Luther on Twitter, and he goes to see him. Richard says that day in Waco, he thought he was just going for lunch and a meeting. And we went to the patio area and I, I sat down and the waitress come up, I ordered a glass of water uh, with a lemon in it, <laughs> you know, to add a little flavor to it. Richard is 59. He owns a handyman business. He's only been a Cossack for a couple of years. He says he liked being part of a club going on campouts, raising money for poor kids. So you already heard about how prospects empty ashtrays and clean bathrooms. The other thing they have to do is guard motorcycles in parking lots. That's what Richard says the Cossack prospects were doing in Waco that day. And uh, they were out there watching our bikes when uh, this bandito uh, rolled in and just ran over our prospect, just ran over him. Other Cossacks who say they saw what happened told us the same thing. They say the bandito's tire went over the Cossack prospect's foot. At the time, a police spokesman told reporters that too. 
Richard says the prospect fell down, then got back up. And a bunch of Cossacks who were watching from the patio of the restaurant rushed out to the parking lot where it happened. So at that time, 30 or 40 of us came over the rail to where the bikes were, where our prospect had been run over. The Cossacks converged on the banditos. Everybody started yelling. I heard one of us, uh, you know, tell this bandito, man, why, why would you do that? Why would you pull up here? Why would you disrespect us? And the bandito looked at him and said, F your respect, F you Cossacks. Just a warning, this next part is about to get graphic. A police account says the next thing that happened is a bandito hits a Cossack. Richard says he saw that happen. I couldn't see exactly what he hit him with, but he hit him with an object upside the head. And I saw another one of our Cossacks step up, and I heard the first gunshot. And I saw that Cossack fall, and I just, I just stood there. I was just, and then another gunshot. I just stood there. I was just like shocked. I, did this really just happen? Did I just see one of us get shot, you know, in the head? Richard says there were then maybe two more pistol shots. And then a barrage of rifle fire. And I hit the ground right where I was, and it was uh, myself and a couple of other brothers laying on the ground. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to die here. I mean, it was, it was just so much gunfire. Witnesses say some of that gunfire came from police. A Waco police spokesman said 16 uniformed police officers were already posted at the restaurant in Waco that day, before the fighting happened. The Associated Press found ballistics reports showing that four of the people who died that day and one person who was injured were hit by the same caliber rifle used by the Waco police. In the moment, no one knew where all the shooting was coming from. I mean, it was, it was just so much gunfire that I tried to look up to see where the gunfire was coming from. As I looked to my left, I saw the president of our chapter holding his chest, and he had been shot. And I looked to my right, and I see a bandito at the end of the sidewalk at the north end of the building just emptying his gun in our direction. And uh, I saw another Cossack uh, as his neck exploded. And I, I, I just I just freaked out. I started crawling military style on the ground through the little gate into the patio area. And I lay prostrate in the restaurant floor thinking, you know, you know, Lord, forgive me for my sins, you know, because I don't know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just minutes from dying here. Richard says a few minutes after the shooting stopped, the cops came in and started rounding people up and trying to get them out of the restaurant. On the way out, Richard saw a friend of his, a Cossack, lying on the ground with a gaping bullet wound just above his knee. And it was just pumping blood every time his heart beat. It was just pumping blood. And, and so myself and two other brothers ran over there to him, and one of them took a belt and tried to get a tourniquet put on the leg to try to stop the bleeding. But Richard says the cops who were trying to secure the area yelled at Richard and his friend to stop helping their brother, to get down on the ground and stay there. And I said, no, this man needs medical attention. He needs it right now. 
you know, he is bleeding out. There was already a puddle on the ground, a good two-foot round puddle in this little grassy area. And uh, Bear, we called him Bear, uh, he raised his head, and I put my arm around his head, and he says, I can't breathe. And I said, Bear, I said, just relax, just relax, Bear, it's going to be all right. The story's important because in the months after the shootout, bikers from both the Cossacks and the Benditos would claim the cops didn't do enough to save the injured. A police spokesperson told us they got help to people as soon as they could, but they were reluctant to send first responders in there because they thought there might be more shooting. At this point, it was clear to Richard, lying on the ground with Bear, that no help was coming. Well, they let us sit there for another few minutes, and we continued to call out for help to law enforcement. Please get us some help. This man is bleeding out. He's very yellow, turning gray, and he's unconscious. And they finally said, we're going to back up a pickup truck. And they looked at me and this other brother, and they said, you two, throw him on the back of this truck, and we'll take him over there to the ambulance, which by this time, Bear is gone. Once the police did have the scene under control, they lined people up, handcuffed them, and sat them down in the parking lot. Hours later, they were moved to jail. They began the booking process asked me what gang I was with, and I said, I'm not with a gang. You know, I'm, I belong to a motorcycle club. And, of course, they asked me which one. I said, well, I'm, I'm a Cossack. And, and then they took my picture. A mugshot that, along with nearly 200 other mugshots, was on every TV news channel in Texas. If you Google Waco biker shootout, you'll see them. Row after row of grizzled-looking dudes in orange jumpsuits. I was in shock. You know, I'd just seen several brothers die. In, in a horrible way. I was exhausted, sleep deprived. And so when you see that picture on television, you can understand why I looked like that, you know. Richard eventually appeared before a judge. And um, he said, uh, you are charged with organized crime. Your bond will be $1 million. Uh, and that was it. His bond was later reduced and he was released on condition that he have a curfew and not contact other bikers. Tom asked Richard if he'll still be a Cossack when all this is done. The banditos in the past have threatened us, and, and now they've made good on a threat. They've actually killed us in public in broad daylight. They've attacked us like this. I had a life before the Cossacks, and I love the Cossacks with all my heart, and I really enjoyed being a part of it. But I don't emotionally think that I can take Number one, seeing any more of my brothers killed, I can't deal with that anymore. And I can't put my family in jeopardy. I don't know. I, I, I doubt it, Tom. I doubt it. Richard Luther is now one of 154 people who were at the Twin Peaks restaurant in Waco that day who has been charged by the county with engaging in organized crime. The FBI has also been investigating the banditos for at least two years. A few months ago, they finally indicted three top banditos on charges of racketeering crimes, including murder, drug trafficking, and extortion. Those charges are not related to Waco. That's that indictment I keep talking about. And the banditos say they are innocent. 
Here's their version of what happened in Waco. A former spokesman for the Banditos and another lawyer familiar with the case told us the Banditos believed the Waco shootout was actually a setup, that police had actually been working with some Cossacks, and these Cossacks provoked some of the fighting in Waco that day. The lawyers say no one believes it was ever meant to get as violent as it did. But the idea, they say, was to instigate some of the fighting as part of this larger sting operation by the feds. Basically a way for authorities to take down biker gangs once and for all. Police and prosecutors deny all of this. So here's what we want to know. Was this just a shoving match that got out of hand? Or did one or both of these groups go looking for a fight that day in Waco. And if it was the latter, could it happen again? Let's go a little. Oh, it's so loud. Let's go this way. Our last stop in Texas is a barn on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. A barn where the Cossacks are having a big, loud party. So loud, it takes 30 seconds to get everybody to quiet down for a moment of silence. The seven Cossacks who died in Waco... Moment of silence for the Waco Seven. Everybody eventually stops talking, except this one drunk gal who's sitting on a pool table. It's close to midnight, and as you can hear, it's gotten pretty drunk out. Most people are drinking beer, but there's also this apple pie spice moonshine. Behind the bar is a memorial to the seven Cossacks who died in Waco. There's a picture of Bear, Richard's friend. Pictures of Diesel, Dog, Chain, Trainer, Rattle Can, and Sidetrack. That guy I found on Facebook who took us to the Cossack Clubhouse, he's here too. Still won't let us record him. Be mindful that you are under the microscope, he tells me. What he means is some Cossack leaders are here and they are keeping tabs on you. So I go find one of the leaders outside the barn. He agrees to let me record, but I can't use his name. And he basically tells me the rest of the Cossack's version of what happened in Waco. Turns out he and another Cossack who's sitting on the back of a pickup truck were there at the shootout. The second one shows me where he got shot. Can I, I just want to see your, your, the bullet hole in the back of your vest. That's crazy. So it just went, oh my God. The Cossack leader starts by telling me about the fight with the banditos over the patch. Here's how he says it went down. About a year before the Waco shootout, the Cossacks did decide it was time to wear the Texas bottom rocker. And they told this to the banditos. We're not stepping on anybody's toes or anything like that. This is who we are. We deserve it just as much as you do. And they agreed. You're right. You've been around just as long as we have, basically. If anybody deserves to have Texas on their backs, it's, these A-clubs have been around this long. What happened next, say the Cossacks, the Waco police, and the feds, were some fights between the two sides. We had a small incident. And then it goes another month, we have another small incident, little skirmishes here and there. Where These were not just little skirmishes. That federal indictment alleges one Cossack was beaten so badly with a claw hammer by some banditos, he had to have staples in his head. 
Then later that day, Waco police say a bunch of Cossacks jumped a bandito and caused him blunt force trauma to the head. It's just been an ongoing buildup. Things were getting so hot, this Cossack leader says, that Waco chapters of the Cossacks and the Benditos decided to sit down and try to work it out on Sunday, May 17, 2015. In other words, he says, the day of the Waco shootout was supposed to be a day when the two sides reached an agreement. We had a discussion at 10.30 that morning that we were to be on our best behavior to introduce ourselves to every single member of clubs out there to inform them that you've been misinformed. We want to be left alone. That's all we're here for. Yeah. And that's what we were doing. But it was all a trap, he says. He says the negotiations never started. Instead, he says the banditos sent a group of guys known as a wrecking crew, and they're the ones who started the fight. Banditos shot first. Our, our guys protected themselves. They did everything they, in their power to go home safely to their families. That's, I mean, I've got grandkids. In other words, this Cossack leader says the Cossacks are the victims in this story. They're the good guys. In a written statement to the media, the banditos deny there was any plan to meet with the Cossacks. Their spokesman at the time says a truce would never be negotiated like this. That spokesman points to surveillance video that shows one Cossack pointing a gun at someone during the shootout, and two witnesses who said in written statements that Cossacks shot first. Right about then, an older Cossack walks up and tells me I'd better get the story right. The Cossacks are not organized criminals. The point about it is is that, yeah, you talk about organized crime. You know where organized that? Motorcycles, big-titted women, and fucking parties. We're not organizing anything else. We have a strong brotherhood. That's what we're all about, is a brotherhood. That's exactly what we're about. We're the last vestige of the American male. That's a fact. (laughs) We're community-minded people. We're family men. We're working hard men. Blue-collar people. You ain't found any gangland bullshit about the Cossacks. We're not even on a watch list. What does that say? But look up the pagans. Look up the warlocks. Look up the fucking banditos. What they've been involved in in their lives and what their club's about. We ain't ain't us. Seven dead rubbers on that wall in there. That's what they keep telling us. Seven of the nine guys who died in Waco were their guys. They're not the bad guys. They're not a gang. That ain't us. But then it gets later, and a couple of things happen. First, I spend a lot more time with that Cossack leader. And the more he talks, the more defiant he starts to sound. He does not sound like a victim. He says the Cossacks are going to keep wearing the Texas bottom rocker, even if that means more fighting. Well, you notice our Texas didn't come off our backs, and we're not hiding. We're driving up and down the highway. Do you think you're at war now? Oh, we're, as much as we want to say we're not, you know, I mean, do I think it's coming tomorrow? No. Do I think it's coming soon? No. I think it's going to come when they think everything has finally died down. And he's right. Federal authorities say the fights between the Cossacks and the Benditos have continued since Waco. And then the second thing that happens is, we're about to leave, and we're standing there with a group of Cossacks. And the Cossack leader starts to say goodbye to this other guy. Brother, love you guys, man. Hey, I'm not, I'm not going nowhere. But the guy doesn't leave. He starts to talk about how even though he's not a Cossack, he loves the Cossacks. He loves the people, he loves the colors. And then he says he likes doing business on a different level with the Cossacks. 
I know it's underground, he says, and I know it's not talked about to outsiders. And that is where another Cossack stops him. I don't know what the hell you're saying, but I'm going to stop it right there. Now, I totally could have pushed here. I could have stopped the guy and said, wait, what are you talking about? Because honestly, I don't know what he's talking about. But I don't ask him. Our Cossack contact, the guy who helped me get near the club in the first place, has already told me that if I screw up, he could get in trouble. I do not want that to happen. Listening back to this tape, I realize right after this is when our perspective started to change about the Cossacks. That night as we leave the party is when we start to think some of these Cossacks are not just the community-minded people they say they are. And clearly there's a spectrum with the Cossacks. Some guys are like Richard. They like being in a club, going on rides, to parties, campouts. They have a whole life outside the Cossacks. For them, fighting over a Texas patch isn't worth it especially not after Waco. And then there's the guys that live for the Cossacks, not just on the weekends. They say the patch is about respect, about getting their share. They won't let the banditos tell them what to do, even if that means more people will get hurt. So after a bunch of days in Texas trying to get embedded with bikers and lots more time doing interviews and reading documents, it's pretty clear that while the Cossacks' version of what happened is very close to the authorities' version of what happened. There is still a lot we don't know. We don't know for sure who started the fight or whether that fight was planned. We don't know what role the police played in all this. We don't know what the banditos think because we still can't talk to them. And with the Cossacks, we don't know how much they aren't telling us. That's the thing about this kind of work. You can do the due diligence, log all the time, eventually even go to the trial if there is one in this case. And still, you might not ever know the whole story. And that's something that can drive you crazy. But it also keeps you coming back for more. This episode was produced by Tom Dreisbach, Brent Bachman, and Chris Benderev, and edited by Sean Cole and Steve Drummond with help from Michael May and Neva Grant. We got production help from Carlos Morales in Waco, digital production by Alexander McCall, research help by Sarah Knight, original music in this podcast is by Colin Wamsgans. The show is executive produced by me, Chris Turpin, and Anya Grundman. Our project manager is Kasia Pabielski. To see some of the documents we've referenced in this story, go to npr.org. You can hear more stories by me and the rest of NPR on your local public radio station on another show I host called All Things Considered. Stay tuned for our next episode where we go to El Salvador. What do we know about this killing? There's another bus driver. It's another bus driver? Basically the gangs are flexing their muscle. Any public transportation driver that dares to go out and work today is a target. Oh, is that the bus? Yeah. Oh man. There's a bus that's like run into a tree. This is the sixth murder of a bus driver today. They're saying, like, bring coffee and bread because it's going to be a long night. We and hopefully my voice will be back next week. If you haven't done it yet, subscribe to this podcast and leave a review in iTunes. Trust me, it matters. I'm Kelly McEvers. Thanks for listening.